Excuse me. Go on your podcast here. You? <laughs> Make yourself useful and get out. <laughs> <laughs> Make like a tree and get the hell out of here. Yeah. Welcome everyone back to the Chip Lunch podcast here at third, the Third Space Studio at Sorovival Kiriway and um, it's another episode and I am joined by a regular co-host Brayden, how are you? I'm great, how are you Joel? I'm excellent and nice jacket. Oh thank you. That looks like an expensive jacket. No, not particularly. No, it was a present. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to introduce our guest for us today? Oh, it is the, the great and honourable honorable Paul Tate. Goodness me, great and honourable. <laughs> I don't know about either of those two <laughs> adjectives, great or honourable. I, I know, I'd, I'd put you... The mega dishonourable. I feel like <laughs> you, you could almost be like a judge. I reckon oh. you, if you put the, you know, the wig on. I reckon <laughs> you'd, you'd actually pass really well as a judge. Big wig, braid it. Yeah. yeah. In, into a little sewing bag or something. Oh, That's is that a, what they do? Oh, if you're talking about the... Oh, oh the wig like a... Like a judge, yeah. Like, yeah. I know. So, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the zone of the Bible... <laughs> Sorry, judges. Because oh, okay. we're doing a talk on, on and we were about to do a talk on Samson. Yeah, and yes. he talked about a wig. And I'm thinking he's he had his big long hair, and at one point his hair gets woven into a um a sewing basket. All right, all right. Ah. See, it shows up we haven't read judges up to that point in judges yet. Uh, um, <laughs> so I totally to missed it. the idea that I was just a normal judge with a wig. Judge in court. Yes, yes that's, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you and a gavel. Yeah. You and a wig and a gavel. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, well, we introduce you by name, but you're also um, uh, one of the pastors here at Solvable Church. Yeah, yeah. Mm, great. It's a great privilege. Mm, congratulations. Um, <laughs> 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 You've been awarded. Um, Paul, it's awesome to have you on, but we have one question we ask every single person that comes on this podcast, which is, I always like to give that to you, Brayden. Do you, you want right. to ask it? How do you take your chips, Paul? Well... Hot chips, yeah, with um, good like salt. It can be chicken salt or normal salt. Oh, okay, because there's a thing on chip lunch that chicken or yeah, and I'm very much on the plain salt side. Brayden and the other heathens and everyone else. (laughs) No, that's not true. I started catch up, and then we've had a few boy guys where I was like chicken salt, chicken salt, chicken salt. I must admit, I mean, as a kid growing up. Chicken salt wasn't a thing. It was just it was just the plain salt. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's been you were brought a, up. a newly developed chemical that they come <laughs> yeah. across. Most were, likely, yeah. I think you were brought up proper. That's, yeah. that's the thing. but although the thing that I do like as well is like if you're going to do a bit of a squirt of tomato sauce, I don't mind that. Either. Yeah, I'm, oh. see, I'm with you. I think, mm. I think we'd, we'd enjoy our, our chip date. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There are a lot of people. It's seasoning, right? That's what we've said about yeah. chip, um, ch- chicken salt. It's seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, seasoning. Right. And it was I'm made for the poms that came over to make it more like home or something yeah. like that. Is that right? Or was it... A, no. They took it back over there. They took it back England. over there. It's an Australian thing. I'm it's interested. You, you clarified hot chips. So now I'm oh. interested in probing further. If like, as the English would say, crisps, if you were, if you were going for like chips... A bag of chips at Coles, what would be your choice? Oh. Like, do you have a default? <laughs> He's like, first of all, it wouldn't be Coles. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, Brought to you I think by if, Coles. I, if I went for a bag of chips, I mean, as a kid growing up, I was always partial to salt and vinegar. Yeah, yeah. same. Um, 
Uh, now, now it's just too, just too many varieties for me. <laughs> Cracked pepper and, and lime, lime and <laughs> caramelized onion. Um, yeah, it doesn't know, taste like caramelized onion <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I just got—I think it's, it's it's how clever the chemists are getting, making more and more yeah. artificial flavors. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, as a kid growing up, what was the choice? I mean, plain chips, chicken chips, salt and vinegar. Oh, yeah. um, maybe barbecue. I remember as a kid liking those ones, barbecue oh, flavors. Well. Okay. They, they came out as well. Well, here's the problem. Maybe this is why I don't like chicken salt, though, is because chicken chips don't taste anything like chicken. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I made an association with that, and I'm like, well, that doesn't taste like chicken either. Why is it called chicken salt? Yes, I'm, I'm, it just doesn't make sense to me. In my young mind, my young... Young, <laughs> unseasoned mind. <laughs> when you just had salt, salt is from the earth. Salt is from the ground. Salt so is from is chicken salt, bro. It's not because you've added something. <laughs> you've to added it. chicken stock and then evaporated it, and it's just chicken stock. Gosh, and salt, basically. I mean, the labour involved in just making that in the first place <gasps> is ridiculous. Anyway, back on track. Back to you, Paul. <laughs> um, the second question that we always ask on the podcast is, "How did you become a Christian?" Yeah, well. Um, I had the privilege of being brought up in a church-going family. Mm. I sort of say church-going family because I'm not sure uh, where my parents were mm. at in regards to their own faith, but we were yeah. definitely regular at going to church. And so um, uh, over time I heard you know, the Bible taught and I went through Sunday school and that's just, so I got pretty much understood the, the, the gospel. Um, Throughout my life, there's probably there's been no one moment that's sort of like I'd say is the clincher that, yeah. that it was like um, where I was like, oh, I was blind, now I see. <laughs> um, I just, I think there's a couple of key moments and though this, I mean, of course, just going to church regularly um, yeah. was helpful. But then um, I grew up in an Anglican church and so there comes a time when uh, in every... Anglican boy's life, so to speak, <laughs> where you're supposed to go to confirmation. Yep. Confirmation being you take on the vows that your godparents made for you when you're christened. Um, mm. and that's usually that's the, 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 um, the pattern, at least in the Anglican tradition. Yeah. And so um, I remember sitting down for my first meeting with the minister and he said to me, Paul, uh, why are you here? And... Um, I thought the thing that first came into my mind was because mum said I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I didn't say it out loud. Yeah, so I, just, I didn't say that out loud. And I thought that's not the right answer. <laughs> and so I, I still remember it. It's, it's very vivid in my mind. And I was like that, that moment I had to say like why I wanted to do, be con confirmed. And so it was, like, that's, it's, it was like one of the first little pennies that started to drop. This is not a pedigree thing. This yeah. is a personal relationship between me and God. Not, not because I had a Christian pedigree yeah. or a church-going pedigree. So that was a key moment. Um, over the years then, I probably still had four years of high school to go, um, sen like senior high to go. Mm. And when I was at high school, I probably was, I didn't act very Christianly mm. at all. Um, and so it was after high school, I worked for a couple of years and that's when I sort of was able to get out of a maybe an unhelpful influence environment um, to reflect upon myself and, and help. And I, I kept going to youth group and to church and that sort of thing. 
Um, but I was able to start helping out with Christian camps and stuff in my holidays. Went on beach mission, that sort of thing. So I started being able to share what I believed to be true with others. So again, that another key block in the foundation of in my faith. Mm. Yeah. And um, and then uh, going on uh, into university, um, when I was there, I actually also l- probably learnt for the first time how to clearly understand explain my faith so to start learning a, a gospel outline and be able to share that with others again it was a, it was a fairly significant um block in the in the foundation mm-hmm. so um yeah it was a, maybe i was a bit thick but, uh, <laughs> but it took took a number of years it was it was, it was a, a process of of growing mature knowledge and maturity perhaps mm-hmm. yeah um, uh, and then by the time i was at university, I was a lot more convinced as that it was true. Yeah. And I could see changed lives around me and uh, and how my life had changed as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. What, uh, what high school did you go to? That's what I was going to ask. Oh, just, just on it. Actually, I was going to ask where you grew up first and then uh, what high school okay, you Okay, well, I, gr- I grew up in the northwest of Sydney. So cool. I'm, I'm, I'm probably an outlier. In regards to chip lunch, yeah. panelists oh, so no, far. We've, we've, yeah, we've ranged far and wide. I, think, I think, I don't know. We'll just say it. Well, <laughs> we'll just, if you say it, it's true. <laughs> Is it, um, Northwest Sydney, so mm-hmm. Kellyville. Okay. And when yeah. I grew up in Kellyville, it was still very much a very small suburb and mostly paddocks, mm. market gardens, uh, rebel egg farmers. And um, <laughs> rebel egg farmers. <laughs> yeah, I remember as a kid, that was one of the things that got us on the news once, Kellyville, um, where these... Uh, uh, some sort of um, dispute between egg farmers and shops and I don't know what else. Okay. And they, they did oh. these rebel egg farmers, which um, blocked roads. And all <laughs> <of> the <laughs> so oh, the egg farmers again. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it was, a bit, it was a bit of a, um, <laughs> that's, that's all that was there. I mean, now it's, it's just a sea of suburbia. Mm, and, okay. um, uh, and the high school I went to, because Kellyville didn't have a high school at that time, now there's two or three uh, in the region where I lived. Um, but I went to a school called Crestwood High School, mm. which was uh, in Borkham Hills. Okay. Ah, okay. Because um, the other feeder high schools were getting over, overcrowded, and, they had, and it, was a, it was a brand new school, oh, wow. and I was a, a pioneer student. Wait, it was the first ever year. Right through high school, we had no one on top of us. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. So um, the good side was we didn't have that absolute fear of yeah. going from primary school to high school and all yeah. the all the all the fearful words well, of being picked, kids picked on by the old yeah. kids, um, uh, but then coming to the senior years, it really was a disadvantage because what sort of subjects do you do for the HSC and and are they good? <laughs> the, te- you get the teacher's word for it. I'm not sure I'll really take the teacher's word for it. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd like to hear like another student. Um, mm. So we missed out on that, but it, it was. Um, yeah, I remember getting this little plaque, Pioneer Student. Um, it's now a well-established high school and yeah. lots and lots of years have gone through since then. In fact, I think I drove past it one day. It's, it's off the beaten track, um, even going out to my old parents' place. I drove past it and it just looked, even, it looked very dated, even though it was brand new in the 1980s. It now looks quite old. Yeah. Yeah. What a story. This yeah, is just so funny because you would have just like you would have started year seven. There would have only been one year there, right? That's right. We were the only year, and then you go to year eight, and then there's only a year and, seven. And we're in a paddock, 
with demount, demountable classrooms. The oh, whole wow. school was demountables. Oh, oh wow. wow. So um, we just stayed in, there was a demountable hall, there was a demountable <laughs> library, demountable science labs, yeah. demountable wow. woodworking rooms, um, as well as normal classrooms. And it just kept spreading and spreading. And I remember as a kid thinking, this is just going to keep growing forever. And, and like, <laughs> are they ever going to build the real one? And, and it, we didn't get into the real buildings until year 11. Ah, okay. Year 11 and 12. Does that so mean like there was only enough teachers for like one year in the first year and then all of a sudden second year they had to have twice the amount of teachers? Yeah, yeah I think, I think the, student, wow. the teacher faculty just grew year on in, year out. That's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, so... And it was supposed to be very progressive. There was no school uniform, oh. and things like that. Yeah, is this a public school. It was a public school, a state school. Wow, no school um, uniform. It was, it was, and I mean, it was a bit frustrating. Um, I remember my parents and lots of other parents really annoyed, thinking, <laughs> oh, "Great, now I've got like rather than just having a set clothing." Yeah, it was like, "Oh, what dress are they going to wear today, or what t-shirt are you going to wear today?" And yeah, um, so eventually they had a a standard form of dress, which was essentially like a uniform. And yeah. I think eventually it did default into a, being, becoming a uniform school. Yeah. I remember when I was at primary school and I'd be just like, yeah, we should be like America. We should have wear whatever we want. And then um, interesting that I, my wife is a teacher and to hear her perspective on a uniform, it's actually quite an, one of the reasons that uniforms have been brought in, well, were brought in at, at a certain time, was to act as a leveller. Like because education should be for all, and then mm. so that, that means that everyone should be the same regardless of what they're wearing. I thought yep. that was that was actually really it was educational for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was certainly one of the arguments that um, the parents that were very pro uniform came out, wheeled that one out as well. Mm. Like, and I mean, and it did become burdensome. Um, I think, I think with time, people sort of got fairly relaxed about it once once we got used to it. But I look back sometimes, I think every so often I, I stumble across an old school photo and we just look such a, like such a bunch of drongos <laughs> Com- compared to my kids that like are in schools you know, with shirts and ties and sometimes even blazers on yeah. and they just look like little businessmen <laughs> and women and we just look like such a bunch of drongos. <laughs> Drongo, <laughs> with, these, with these really bad 80s hair, hair uh, yeah. what, what were you rocking then? Uh, probably a... Bit of a mullet. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> it's come back now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you going to try and bring it back? Come back to the mullet? Get, um, on the, get on the crazy I don't, I don't think Linda or my wife would let me do that. I tell you what, yeah. you look good up the front of church. Having <laughs> the mullet. <laughs> Nathan, my um, uh, third um, uh, child, He's got a pretty ugly mullet at the moment. <laughs> Put the ugly in the front. No, no, because he's not he, a good one. He actually went he went to get his hair cut the other day, yeah. and um, uh, with a with a Russian hairdresser, and he came out and <laughs> she just made it even more intensely mullet. <laughs> and, um, even even he was a bit embarrassed about oh, it. So really? he's, he's going to have to go to another hairdresser. Um, to get it trimmed up before he's for, um, he's formal. He's oh, just, okay, just, yeah, just that makes sense. So um, yeah, even he came in and, and I didn't see it because he had a cap on the other day, but he came in and he showed me his he could the embarrassment. I said, "Couldn't you tell her to stop?" And <laughs> he goes, "Oh, she did one side, and then I couldn't tell her not to do the other side." Is the uneven, yeah, you can't have uneven sides, can you? Yeah, yeah. So what is it? What was it like being a Christian? <laughs> 
at the demountable non-school uniform school? Um, like I said, I, I, dis- I didn't really carry my mm. faith much around with me at school. Um, yeah. We did have scripture still mm. um, um, at school, like, and so I by default sort of went to that as um, the Protestant scripture option. And, and we still had, I think, weekly scripture. I think at one stage we did, it did, come, it did get wheeled back to just like a once a month type of um, extravaganza. Like a, they'd fill up the whole that library full of the kids and they'd do a bit more of a show. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, some, not, not, we're, not, we're talking about like a, a story being told with an overhead projector, like, yeah. Yeah. like slides <laughs> that yeah. people do. Wow. So it was hardly high tech. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a as a Christian, I think I, I I was I was living sort of two lives. I was there at church on a weekend, uh, youth group, um, but at school, amongst my non-Christian mates, um, yeah, act, act, just following along with them. Mm. There was a time where I realised, like, especially around the confirmation time, I realised I've got to clean up my language. Like, so language was. Very easy to be who can who's the toughest guy and who can say the silliest things. Yeah, and so um, I was able to drop that, which was which was a good change. Um, but like I said, it was after school where I was able mm. to actually um, just stabilise and and I've met a few of my friends from school since then. Some of which have become Christians. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. So I, I met I met one at a conference, Christian conference. Like he just walked up. I couldn't recognise him at first, and then, oh, you're like, where's your that? mullet? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, and then they just um, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing story of how they became Christians after mm. sco- high school. And wow, yeah. So not much crossover between the people you were going to church or youth group with and your school friends. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, again, um, my um, uh, school wasn't really that geographically close to where I was ah, living yeah, because okay. because we were sort of Kelly was sort of the next suburb out of Balkham Hills. Mm. Um, we'd have to sort of commute back to the school. So, ah, okay. Yeah. Um, the local churches for that high school were probably in the Balkham Hills area. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, we didn't didn't have that crossover um, as they as they might now because now I know that the the the, the church is there and um, a number of high schools they've got um, chaplains chaplains there and um, high school uh, yeah chaplains that are connected with the church and so there'd be a much tighter connection because yeah. of the geographical proximity. Yeah, yeah, right. You mentioned that you weren't sure of your parents' faith. Mm. Do you think that played a part in you perhaps not living as much as a Christian as you might might have liked to at school? Um, yeah, like so, for example, I think um, um, yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I think my parents were living reasonably consistent. Yeah. Um, probably my mum more so than my dad. Um, um yeah, so, but I think I think a lot of my upbringing was probably with a moral understanding of Christian faith. Yeah. yeah. So there's certain things I would have not dared to have done. Um, so by grace of God, I didn't stumble and fall in a big way um, during during high school because I had this sort of moral 
obligation in some yeah. ways or to really not want to disappoint my parents, that sort of thing. Um, Probably a lot of Australians yeah. are like that because obviously the church had, was such an influential part of life back yeah, that's in, right. their, in their time. Yeah, certainly, certainly in my parents' time, mm. it would be much stronger. But by the 80s, it's starting to really, um, you know, fade away. Yep. But I think we weren't just n- totally nominal. I think we were, we were fairly involved. Um, in my parents had been involved. Um, certainly, like my mum, since then, is, is, is like she now teaches school scripture and things like that. Oh, she's, she's very keen. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. And my dad's actually... I think got a much clearer understanding these days too. In fact, yeah. only a couple of weeks ago, um, I baptised him. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, we really? did a public baptism oh. up at their retirement village. Who is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I think he's talking to his minister uh, as well, like um, saying, thinking that he's actually much clearer on his wow. on his faith. So, That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So they they've um, they've grown and grown <laughs> in their faith yeah. over the years. And um, I, I'm I'm, th- I'm thankful for the for the for the um, influence they've had mm-hmm. on me. Um, but it, it probably you, you're right. I think it did have that. that under- I therefore didn't act probably as consistently as I could have. Mm. How was that experience baptizing your dad? This is obviously a fresh mm. one, but yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was initially when he, he he talked to me about it. I was yeah. thinking, oh, I hope you're not just again going down this legalistic thing so I was talking yeah. to him a lot about this really is not going to make any difference yeah. in your standing before God mm-hmm. yeah. um, and so I think it took a while to talk that through he had spoken to a, the church that they'd gone to but then through COVID meant they were a bit distant so he wasn't able to follow that through so I was really pushing him hard to sort of say get the minister from your, your church to, to do this because um, I wanted a bit more objectivity mm. um, for him but again, the COVID thing was, was, was having us really in a lot of limitations for them getting a bit to church. Um, so I was able to send him lots of material, which he was able to read and reflect upon. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was really, it was, it was a lovely day. Um, yeah. I was a bit reluctant initially. I really think I did want a third party outside of the family. Yeah. But yeah, when we eventually got around to doing it, it was a lovely day and, and we had about 30 people there um, to witness it. And it was just, um, it was lovely, yeah. Yeah. How cool. Mm. Pretty cool experience. Well, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but it must be a pretty cool experience to be able to baptise your dad as well. Like, were you, it was a proud moment? Um, yeah, I, guess I, I, I think my dad's probably prouder. Like, in this <laughs> like, and um, I, I was, I, for me, I think it was more of a happy moment. Yeah. And, and, and almost in some ways, in some ways, a bit more of a relief moment because the minister from church came, his, their church mm. came, and um, I was able to have a, a lengthy chat with him. And after that, I was thinking, oh, that's really, there was a lot of um, concerns allayed because yeah. he was able to say, you know what, I, your dad has been coming to Bible study regularly, even like on the Zoom period. And I, I really do believe it over the last few years, he's actually really come to understand the gospel oh, more fully so um and i mean he's getting more elderly and i think the pressure of work and putting work behind him mm-hmm. has helped him to sort of like reflect more yeah um, which what has been good what was his job well, he's been a um, self-made sort of businessman type of guy um he was a wholesaler 
of uh, retail packaging, yeah. disposable packaging products, that sort of stuff, paper, mm. paper bags, cups, toilet paper, all that <laughs> sort of stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, he, that was, he inherited half of his uncle's business and then just ran that for as long as I, I, I know, like 50 years. Wow. Yeah, right, okay. Yep. Yeah. So if we take it back to you, the, there was, um, you said the high school mm. probably weren't living as a Christian very much, mm. but it sounded like university was a real turning point for you as well. Mm. Why was that? Like, what did you go to study at university and then why was Christian becoming a Christian or um, perhaps behaving in a way that God would have preferred? Yeah. Um, why was that important then? Oh, well, I mean, I think well, I, I went... After high school, I really didn't know what to do. Mm. I had enrolled in a science degree. I had no re- idea why you could do that. <laughs> I remember going to the university and getting the worst possible um, timetable because oh. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, right. And so I want, by the time I finally worked it out, all the tutorials had all the, the tutorials that were left were first thing Monday morning and last thing Friday afternoon. Oh, oh. So I was like, I had no idea. Anyway, I did some work experience with a neighbour who um, had a plant nursery, and um, and he said, "Hey, um, if you want, come and work with me next week." And I thought, "Oh, great! You know, I needed a bit of job over the summer, so started working with him." And then he um, helped me to enrol in a certificate course in horticulture, that sort of thing. And so I, I did that for a little while, and then he said, "Well, you can now work with me permanently if you like." So I thought, "Look, I don't know why. I don't know what I want to do." Um, this, is, this is some work, a um, little bit of study on the side. And after finishing that, I went to university to study landscape architecture. Cool. Right. Yeah. So I was, at, I was at New South Wales University studying landscape architecture. And there was a, a very established Christian group mm-hmm. that um, I uh, was introduced to a few people and um, followed up. And, and that's where I started learning how to express my faith rather than just saying oh, um, why you're a Christian and the answer being oh Jesus loves me I know th- this I know because the Bible tells me so um, <laughs> it's like it, was a, it started to actually deepen my faith as well as going to um, regular Bible talks that sort of stuff for a number of years and um, having ongoing connection with different Christians and seeing Christians at different stages as well so people who are like students right through to uh, people who are senior students as well as people who are training for ministry just started doing that after university yeah. through to senior staff, Christian ministry. So it was, it was a, the whole spectrum was there to sort of watch and, and I just got involved. And um, their line was, well, you're here at university, you're going to stretch yourself in your secular understanding. Um, it's actually probably pretty wise to keep stretching yourself in your Christian understanding while you're here as well. Not not do a double degree, yeah. But um, at least stretch yourself a little bit. Mm. And I thought that sounds stands to reason, and uh, that's what I did. <laughs> and um, it was great. It was really really great. It meant that yeah, I didn't end up becoming this know it all about certain topics, but have know nothing about Christianity. So yeah. I, I grew a lot as a Christian during those university years. What did you um? Uh, I had a question. There. Oh, like, what did that? What does that look like on like an on-campus ministry? Because, I mean, I, I was a Christian when I went to uni, but I didn't get involved in the Christian university groups. And I think Braden was probably similar. Yeah, we had a chat about um, 
yeah, we chatted that that previously. I was just wondering, what does that look like if you are you still going having to go on Monday mornings and Friday afternoons and then trying to find time in between, or what do you, what do, you do? Um, I mean, the uh, my my degree was fairly spread out, pretty evenly for five days of the week. I mean, um, I think I was there most days. Um, there was a time when I was there where lunchtime was still lunchtime. So, and it was actually a bit of a common lunchtime. Oh, so okay. while I was at university, pretty much 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock was fairly open as lunchtime. Um, that would there, have been there would have been, there, of course there would have been lectures going on and stuff like that. But like, for example, we would have, there's lunchtime concerts all the time, like going on in the library lawn. And um, so there was this atmosphere when I was at university, I'm sure it's changed a bit, but where lunchtime was actually fairly free and open. Mm. And so that's when the Bible talks would be on. So we just all, like the Christians, would, we'd traipse up and with our friends, we'd invite our friends, it was very evangelistic. Um, we'd invite our friends up and we'd sit down, listen to a half hour talk on the Bible during the lunchtime where we'd eat our lunch while we were there. But if you weren't doing that, then you know you might be sitting down on the library lawn watching a band or hmm. um, hanging out with your friends. Like yeah. um, that was so that was one thing. You, you could go to the Bible talks, and that meant. And then another another day, we might have our faculty Bible study. So the other Christians in the architecture faculty um, would come together for a Bible study, and we'd sit down and study the Bible together. And then if you wanted to go another step you could do some ministry training and that would be usually in the afternoons. Yeah. Um, and um, and I, that's where I learned how to share the gospel with others, um, how to follow people up, how to lead a Bible study, mm. all these sort of basic training things that you used to do, all the, they were all offered at the university campus. And, um, and then on top of that, you could meet up with other people one-to-one. So I, I did spend a lot of hours probably four or five more hours a week doing Christian things. And I was still involved in my church back home. Like, yeah. um, in fact, taking a lot of the skills from what I was going at university and applying them uh, in my youth leading back at my home church and that sort of thing. Um, but eventually I did actually move across because I was, I was living still at Kellyville and commuting to Kensington. It's a long, long trip. It's a long trip. Mm. So, yeah, about... It'd be a bus and a train. I used to drive my car across to a station and then um, catch the train. Um, but by the time I've done that, and then from the train bus to the university, yeah, it could be an hour and a half to two hours, yeah. just one way. So by the end of the day, it was a long day. So I mean, my second, my second and third, my, my no, my third and fourth year at university, I moved into university campus um, and lived on campus. And, and as a result of being able to live there, I got even more involved. Yeah. So there was a university church that I went to on Friday night of the week. And there was more Bible studies involved with that. And there's, yeah, so I had, I had a lot more time. Wow. So I was actually, that's, that's, what, that's what university ministry was like. Yeah. And it still is, I think, for a, for a lot of campuses these days. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was like that on my campus. So that sounds a bit more interesting than... <laughs> which, which one was, did you go to? I went to University of Western Sydney and I might just be, right. might have also been ignorant because I was like, oh, just turn up for those three hours and get out of there. But right. it was a very different experience to your 
to your unique experience and how are you fitting in working at the same time? If you've like got university all, work? Yeah, or, or um, are you working a job? No, no. So I was, I, I'd worked, because I'd worked before going to university, I, sort of, I was still living at home, mm. saved up most of that money. So I had no pressure during my university days to think I better get a job. Okay. Um, and and, the, and the, the, the degree was a bit of a vocational degree, so it was fairly set curriculum. And it was fairly full. So it wasn't like I could just zip in and think, I've got, I'm here for three hours, I can zip out. And somehow I've compressed all my, my lectures and tutorials into two days and so yeah. I can get out the rest of the time. It was like, I've got a set curriculum, a set timetable. Um, I'm hanging around university. Mm. I've got the next two hours off. I'll, I'll wander up to campus Bible study and listen to a talk or catch up with some friends. And yeah. mm-hmm. So it was, it was a bit more of a... Um, yeah, a, a, f- a full-time teaching, a learning pr- time. Yeah, right. So if I need some landscaping done, <laughs> <laughs> did you enjoy doing landscape architecture? I did. I did. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I did, I did pretty well mm. at it. Um, um, First class honours <laughs> or something. <laughs> I did do well. Pioneer. So, uh, I, d- I didn't get the university medal or anything of that uh, extreme, but, um, but, I, but I, I, I did okay and I really enjoyed it. And my time at university was just wonderful. Yeah. I, I lo- I, I, um, and uh, thanks to the fact that I worked a bit. I worked a bit after school, so I arrived a bit later. Yeah. So I wasn't so panicked. I, I looked at a lot of the um, other students that I was studying with that had come straight from high school. And they were just in a constant state of panic. Like, uh, what are they doing now? When's this due? And how am I going to get this done? Um, that extra couple of years and the fact that I also had done a little bit of um, complementary study just meant I, I just was relaxed the whole time. Right. And, um, I mean, things stepped up. Like, we, we, you start off with some basic subjects and by the end you're doing, you know, quite complicated designs. And... Um, writing a thesis and that sort of stuff so um but but i, I really enjoyed it mm. so that whole that whole experience and um um i could have easily gone into that as my profession well that's the reason i asked was because um i know that you eventually went into full-time ministry mm, that's right because you were enjoying you're obviously enjoying ministry at um at university so much yeah but then also landscape architecture so once you're finishing university mm. what's What's the decision-making process? Well, uh, um, through that time of university, like I said, you, you've probably gathered so far, I was fairly involved. And I'd moved across and was even more involved. Mm. Um, and like I said, there was people at different stages. And so I was actually um, meeting up with people who were like um, ministry tra- doing ministry apprenticeships, like actually... Tr- working in ministry training uh, in preparation for theolo- like for ministry. Mm. Um, but they're only about two or three years in front of us. And so over time, it came to the point where you, they'd be able to, they, they offered some people the possibility of ongoing training in ministry. And so uh, they said, if you're interested in that sort of thing, then come and talk to them. And so uh, I think it was my third year, yeah. I was thinking... I mean, I've always been um, keen to be involved in ministry. I was keenly involved in my home church before I got to university. Um, 
um, and I'd just learnt so much more and my convictions had deepened a lot more about it. And so I talked to the various people who offered to help train us to do ministry training. Uh, and so I did joined what was called the Ministry Training Strategy. Um, um, it's still around today, MTS. MTS, yep. Um, but it sort of started at New South Wales University, so it was very early days. It hadn't. It was running in one or two churches in Sydney, and I think one or two of the other campuses. Well, they had different programs, um, and so yeah, got involved in that. So, because I'd worked a bit before university, they offered for me to come straight on to the program. It was a two-year training program, mm-hmm. and so I did that in um, the mid '90s, and. Um, uh, that's when we got married, Lyndall and I. Oh, and so hang on, how did you meet Lyndall? She was at university. Ah, okay. landscape architect? No, no. <laughs> she was, uh, uh, we met at, we met at, um, uh, at uni church. Mm. So she Probably was, a good way to meet people, I feel. Yeah, I, I'm, I, that's why I grieve. I grieve for a lot of the young Christians who have just missed out on essentially two years of university. Yeah. Yeah, um, right. They've missed out two years opportunity of meeting mm. um, a Christian peer, yeah. a potential Christian partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, uh, she was studying music, um, uh, but we were both involved in university church. Probably didn't meet each other properly until like over a summer period. Mm. Over the summer period, like the numbers went right down because it was like vacation. Mm. So that's point you, you sort of, you meet up with the smaller group and that's when we, we met and got to know each other. and. And we got married, um, like yeah, the the next that first year out of university. Yeah. So I just started MTS, and um, that's where we we started. We got married and did that for two years. Did you? Uh, what can you remember? What your first date was? I think it was actually riding a bike around Centennial Park. <laughs> the <laughs> same bike, like a tandem bike? Oh, a tandem bike. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been very romantic, but it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a tandem bike, but it was, it was uh, riding a couple of like, laps around um, that's Centennial not, that's Park. That's not a bad date. Yeah. Because you you're, you're kind of doing something and you don't have to be like staring at each other the whole time. Get yeah, to know each yeah, other a bit a, easier. A, a good date for me, yeah. A good, good, good bloke date. To <laughs> yeah. do, go do something. Yeah, go yeah. do something. Then do some fishing afterwards. Or That's something. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go stop around at one of the ponds and <laughs> see if yeah. we can catch some fish. Um, cool. So you got married. Yep. And you... Sorry, was that the end? No, that's when you no, started the MTS course? That was when we started MTS. So okay. that was... Um, so two, and that was a two-year training apprenticeship. Mm. Um, and did that for two years. And then... Uh, I worked for a year, so by that stage, I think our finances had sort of like whittled down. That was over, my next question. Over those many yeah, years. how does that go? Uh, I mean, um, we were paid. There was a, a basic, a basic sort of um, uh, stipend. Stipend, I guess <laughs> we call that. Um, yeah, we paid a basic, basic wage that um, paid the rent. Um, we lived pretty meagre, sort of Even just, pretty lean. Yeah, just lean, and um, lived in an apartment. Um, in the eastern suburbs, and um, uh, so we're near the university, so we worked on the campus again. Mm. Um, it was it was it was great fun working with a lot of students who I was studying with as well. So they were sort of like the years in front or the years behind. So it was still very for for about six years that was our life, like basically the eastern suburbs and that and our university 
New South Wales, that sort yeah. of area. And um, yeah, it so sounds w- like you uh, look back on it a very as a very fondly. Oh uh, yeah, it was yeah. it was great. I mean, um, incredibly formative. Um, uh, privileged to be under the teaching and training of some pretty um, uh, influential people. So Philip Jensen, Cole Marshall, um, our Stuart, Phil Wheeler. Some heavy hitters all, in the Anglican <laughs> Church. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're, 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 those guys were all there at campus mm. and training us all. And mm. um, I still catch up with Cole and, um, and once a month just to chat. Yeah. So it's lovely to have that ongoing relationship, which is um, really lovely. A question that I wanted to ask you, though, is that when were you not in a band? I was. I when was. did this happen? Well, after high school. So yeah. basically I was um, noodling around guitar-wise um, uh, in the latter years of my high school. Um, and then probably my closest mate, he was a very keen drummer. Um, ah, and yeah. so he was the drummer. And then I went on a Camp, camp Howard, which was like a, a Christian... Um, John Howard. <laughs> John Howard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sorry. Why? 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 <laughs> just, as soon as you said Howard, now, I thought of John say, Howard. Now you say John Howard, I'm thinking, oh, it's not John Howard. So who, who was it? And I'm trying to think. <laughs> oh, was, was his name Howard or something Howard? <laughs> um, Howard Hughes. A bit, of, a bit of a um, uh, again tradition, um, Christian camp tradition type of thing. Um, uh, and they ran various things like hikes or things down at Port Hacking here nearby. Mm. And so I went on this uh, hike that was actually led by a minister from Sutherland. Um, it's years and years ago. This is, again, in the late 80s, I think. And um, uh, I met this guy and we, we just hit it off and chatted. And he was also a keen guitarist, muso. And one of his good mates was a bass player. Oh, there oh, it is. Oh, here, here we go. go. So I was like, we came together and um, we mucked around just... Um, um, playing heavy metal and all that oh, sort of stuff. So yeah. <laughs> that's what we did. We were just um, rocking out. Wow. And um, we, we, we sort of uh, we, we, we did the demo recordings and stuff, like nothing too serious. And um, it was very hard to get gigs, live gigs. So it was, uh, it was hard to get an um, opportunity to play in front of an audience. And every so often we got a little bit of a run on by being able to get support acts to other big pub gigs. So we did play a couple of the big pub venues in Sydney thanks to the fact that we used to support a Led Zeppelin cover band. (laughs) (laughs) So so the Led Zeppelin cover band were the ones going around playing the big venues in Sydney because everyone wanted to hear the Led Zeppelin songs. But we were able to sort of get up beforehand, do half an hour of just uh, whatever we wanted. And um, so that was good fun. You said heavy metal. What's it it sounding like? Do we know? Were you like a particular band? Um... Or influenced by? I guess we're influenced by Iron Maiden a fair bit. These <laughs> <laughs> sort of like harmony guitar lines sort of playing together. Um, yep. These bands are sort of like, some of them are still getting around, but they're, but they're definitely the elder statesmen now of rock and roll. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, we did some Led Zeppelin songs and Deep Purple songs and stuff like oh. that. But of course, the limitation with doing those sorts of songs is actually having a singer yeah, who can you pull need that off. Yeah, yeah. Really good so it took us, we, once we had a guy who was, he, um, a lot older than us, um, who sounded a bit like Jimmy Barnes. Yeah. And so we, he, he, we did a few gigs with him. Um, but we, we were very much more wanting to, to play our own music. 
Yeah. And so um, that was the, the pressure. So we did every so often play some of those songs, but um, um, yeah, we, you can't, it's very hard to find a singer who can belt out songs like, you know, guys from Led Zeppelin. Yeah, like that. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, just get, get down. Child in time. Yeah, singing, <laughs> singing immigrant song. Like That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so the, we, uh, that was probably, oh, yeah, the late 80s for about three or four years. And uh, then probably halfway through my uni days, um, I mean, we changed a lot. We'd mellowed a bit more, so a bit more no. acoustic and a bit more folky. Like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> like Zeppelin, yeah, probably. Yeah, they did that. In, our, in, our, in our old age, we yeah. were sort of <laughs> slowing down. And, um, uh, and that's the way our, our music went. But then one of the guys went overseas to do a teaching um, stint and, uh, and then I started doing ministry. And the only way to sort of, again, get gigs was to be sort of like on call any time. Like, I, yeah. I, um, oh, we've got three, three nights in... Um, a couple of pubs on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Um, would you go and do that, like, this weekend? It's like, well, no. I've got, <laughs> I've got well, I'm going to be involved with church and Bible study. I, I just couldn't just sort of drop everything and go. So you, the, the, the full, to fully letting go to the rock and roll dream, um, I just, I, I didn't do that. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that's tough to do that, right? Like, to... If you're in a band, like you've got to be touring like nonstop, right? Yeah, yeah. And even then, it's not. There's no guarantee that's gonna you're gonna get anywhere. And mm. I think in that era of the late '80s, it really was quite hard. It probably is as hard as it is now. In that um, the live venues actually almost don't exist much anymore. Yeah, um, it might be um, people are recording albums in their bedrooms that sound better, a hundred times better than anything we recorded in a proper studio. Mm. Um, the standard has become so much better, but. But um, where do you go out and play gigs? So yeah, um, yeah. So that would get discovered on the internet rather than in the pub. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. So did you ever have difficulty being a Christian in that uh, environment? Um, during that time, um, we were a Christian. We were a Christian band. Like we were all Christians in the band. Um, our songs, if you listen to them enough, would hear. <laughs> you would hear. The cryptic message of the gospel, perhaps in there. <laughs> Play it slowly backwards, yeah, yeah. or masking yeah. <laughs> like that, yeah. um, or just or if you listen to it. I remember we played a gig at the university uh, in the university bar at New South Wales, um, mm. some sort of band comp. We did pretty well because we were we were, we, were, we hadn't just thrown ourselves together like a week beforehand. <laughs> yep. um, and I can still remember this guy from the, one of the colleges who I had a number of conversations with about Christianity. And he's, going, and he's going, oh, you know, the band sounded great. He goes, oh, I couldn't help but notice you. We're trying to squeeze the gospel in there. And like uh, when you talk about this song and all that sort of stuff, and there was a song about the prodigal and all that sort of stuff. And, <laughs> and I was going, oh, yeah, yeah, the message is there if you want to hear it. So, so um, that was sort of testimony. Oh, okay. It was, the message was there if you wanted to follow it. But, um, yeah, we didn't... Probably by the grace of God, we didn't go so that we weren't we didn't become that successful that all the temptations of the rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> had a, we were we were a far cry from ever being in that sort of position. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. What was what was the band called, by the way? Oh. Well, over the years, um, the name changed. Oh. Okay. So through it, over the years, okay. Well, band, well, as we started, um, we were called Conquest. Oh. So that was more heavy. 
heavy, yeah. heavy hard rock. Um, I'm, I'm mentioning lot, lots of like angels and yeah, yeah, yeah that kind uh, of thing. Yeah, I'm um, very Iron Maiden. Sorry, very Iron Maiden. Yep. Um, then um, we called Mirage. So oh. it's getting a little bit more sort of, are they, what are they? Like, are, they, are, they are they heavy? Are they soft? Uh, so Mirage. And then eventually we became Shadow Factory. Oh, Shadow yeah. Factory. And so... Because you're uh, making shadows? Uh, well, no, well, I think it was just inspired from, again, one of the guys did a, a tourist trip and he took a photo of this um, um, sculpture. And it was a, a, a sculpture of a human body, with a hammer, like hammering on some steel or something. And so it looked like he thought it was a shadow, but it looks like he's working in a factory. So <laughs> that, was, that was it. So shadow factory. And that was, that was the, um, the three iterations of yes. our band. And still all the same members? Or you, did you say you had different singers? Um, no, no. We, we, yeah, at one point we did have in Conquest, in the early days of Conquest, um, and we had a, um, a guy That's called great. Con. Con the fruiterer. <laughs> <laughs> he truly was. He was a fruiterer. Was he? Yeah. Oh, really? I know, no. Was his name Con or that was his friend? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this it's um short Italian fruiter mm. um, who was really could belt out like I mean he was like um he could belt out Led Zeppelin songs and stuff like that. Oh, so nice. it was like it was quite amazing. One of our guys um, bumped into him and had conversation with him in the fruit shop. <laughs> 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 so it was um that was from a, the fruit shop. There was a, a very short time. Mm. Um, but then the rest of the time, the core was pretty much the same. Um, the same four guys who were, we'd known each other for a long, long time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what led to the demise of Shadow Factory? Well, I, my, probably my choice is to go into ministry. Oh. Um, uh, and uh, not long after that, the guy, like as much as he says, oh, my choice to go into ministry brought the band to an end. <laughs> Within weeks after that, um, he'd gone on to a long-term um, teaching position in Germany or something oh. in some international school. So, so they were trying hard, to make you out. You're hardly, like you, okay. you know, in the, the country for much longer than I was. <laughs> um, I mean, he he had he had left to go overseas um, well before I was anywhere near moving overseas. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Speaking of moving overseas, yes. So, kind of, I'll skip over more college. Generally, because I'm assuming that's what came after MTS. Yep, so I did MTS and then um, uh, worked for a year and then went to um, more college for yeah. four years. Which is a, a theological college? A theological college. Did a um, degree. Which are you are at Braden as well. I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> what were you skipping over though? That, that period college. to go. Okay, skipping well, over after college, college you made an interesting decision. Yeah, yes, actually yes. would like to hear about this. Yeah, so yeah. after after college, um, we um, we made a decision to go um, to do missionary work um, and to go to Russia, um, which was not really out. We we didn't think that clearly. Like <laughs> yeah, I was like, we didn't go all right. When I was, you know, in, in, in third or fourth year of yeah, college, like, let's okay. be missionaries, and this Russia. is where we're going. Um, while we're at college, um, we were still in involved with churches and, and helping things out. We were actually friends with a number of people who had gone as missionaries overseas. Yeah. And we were supporting them in prayer and finances and that sort of thing, receiving prayer points from them and sharing that with our church. And as we kept doing that sort of thing and praying for them, um, our, our hearts are stirring at the same time. Um, Lyndall was a, a bit more international than what I was. She'd studied... <laughs> She had studied um, languages mm. yeah. um, uh, at university alongside some music. Mm. And um, 
Uh, she'd travelled overseas and sort of had visited missionaries. So we all started to think maybe we, maybe we could do this sort of thing. And so we started our conversation with a missionary agency, the Church Missionary Society, um, which those conversations last for a couple of years when you first go there to say, what does it take to be a missionary? And then over those years, you sort of walk together with that organisation and work out where you might be able to go. Yeah. Mm. So why Russia? <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's a serious decision to go to Russia. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, one of the missionaries that we were particularly close with and had been supporting them in prayer um, were missionaries in Slovenia, ah. which is the northernmost tip of the former Yugoslavia. Yeah. Um, and uh, we thought that we would actually follow them, that we'd go okay. and join them. And... Um, uh, but they had been out for maybe three to four years before we were ready to go. Yeah. And, and so, uh, and during that time, someone else had gone oh, um, okay. with the organisation and it was a fairly small ministry. So it would become, start becoming a little bit claustrophobic if we also went there as well yeah. um, to be involved in this very, very small pioneering ministry. Mm. Um, even the local churches were tiny, tiny, like mm. um, Bible study groups. Um, and it was that time when CMS was talking to uh, the, the former USSR had, had broken up and, um, and there were a number of people who were doing presentations at various missionary conferences. And um, the Church Missionary Society had decided to get into partnership with a, a group of people called the Tatar people. And the Tatar people are the largest minority group within Russia. Yeah. And, um, and they were involved with them and wanted to see that um, potentially do ministry with, with, with some people there. To, they, they looked firstly for partnerships, for connections, yeah. um, to accept um, the missionary and support the missionary when you get there. Um, and so that was a part of the world that they were interested in serving. Mm. So that's how we sort of, our, our visions sort of came together. So yeah. we weren't thinking constant, clearly, oh, we're definitely gonna go to Russia. Yeah, We were thinking, well, we're sort of interested in Eastern Europe and we've been praying yeah. for an Eastern European country for many years and so our heart was warm to that part of the world. Yeah. Lindell had studied Russian at, at university. That helps. Um, that, that made another connection. And then the organisation that we wanted to go with, because they were very good at supporting and caring for missionaries, were thinking about this particular part of Russia. Yeah, which was Kazan, didn't Kaz you go? Yeah, Kazan yeah. in Tatarstan, yeah. which is part of Russia. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, that's how those sorts of those that, that's how the things sort of came together. It wasn't like we just woke up and went, "We're going to go to this city." Yeah. Um, this because pro the, this provincial city in in this uh, massive country. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was like uh, having a heart inclined to that part of the world, um, having receiving partners, connections, and having a sending uh, body that was partnered with that group. So that's how it worked. Yeah. Um, and um, which didn't make it any more surreal, any <laughs> less or any less surreal when yeah. we arrived. Right. Yeah. Like the day that we arrived, it was just like, how, how did we get here? Like, how I cold mean, was it the day you arrived? Was um, it summer or winter? <laughs> it was spring. Okay. It was early spring. There's still, still lots of snow and ice on ah, the road okay. and yeah. that sort of thing. And um, so it was pretty chilly. Yeah. But I can still remember like, you know, um, course when you arrive at the airport and we're welcome had a welcoming party and it was always very exciting 
and they drove us to our apartment and yeah. it's like and you know so it's all you know this is this is exciting isn't it oh, yeah. isn't, isn't this interesting we were, we were in a new place mm. but when the last person leaves after that moment and the door shuts and you, and you look around and go okay we're here mm. <laughs> and then you go we are here where's here <laughs> this is this is a far far cry from a kid who grew up you know in the the the, the, the bush of northwest sydney in kellyville yeah. With the egg farmers. With the egg farmers. The rebel egg farmers. If you had yeah. if you had told me that I was um gonna um be at Kazan. Yeah. Yeah, in, in twenty years time after that I'd be going, What? That's just that's just outrageous. Yeah. So it was an amazing work of God that, that, that we actually got there and then supported by people there. Yeah. And then to see things happen which was even more exciting. Yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. Do you what was your like did you have like a set goal when you got there? Like, what was your role? Well, um, we've, been, we've spoken pretty clearly about where and when and all that sort of stuff, but actually we weren't there as card-carrying missionaries. Like you actually, you, you actually um, can't do that sort of thing. <laughs> Left the card at home. Not that we were actually like <laughs> spies or anything, um, but there was... <laughs> but, but oh, yeah. That there's a general suspicion towards the outsiders um, in, in Russia, not yeah. not from the people in general, but certainly from the leadership. Yeah, um, I think that actually comes out of the Orthodox Church. I mean, that's actually another probably discussion for another day <laughs> um, about how um, well if your if your if your society's been based for a long long time on Orthodox Christianity, yeah, and it's called Orthodox, that is the right way. That means that every other person's way. Of Christianity must be wrong. The wrong way, mm. yeah. and so um, so there's this view from I think from the church that outsiders are heretical, mm. and then not only that, you've then got you know two 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 generations of communist yeah. Yeah. approach, which is sort of locked out, but changed themselves, and so so there's there's this, an air of suspicion, again not with the people on the street, they're, they're mostly really quite lovely people when when you get to know them. Um, uh, but yeah, it takes a while to, to um, connect. Yeah. So, so when we first got there, it was um, learning language. Yeah. So I had only a couple of words. So I could say <laughs> hello, goodbye, thank you. Um, <laughs> Three good ones. That's at right. Least. <laughs> that's, uh, you talk. They talk about in language Next, learning yeah. um, circles. They talk about your power tools. Like, ah. Um, like where's the bathroom? Where's I feel the like bar- that's the first one. <laughs> that would be one, yeah. <laughs> and I don't understand. <laughs> can, can, can you repeat that, please? Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Mm. Things like this. So basically, um, uh, learning the language. So we enrolled. We were there as students. Ah, so okay. I was there on a student visa. Yeah. Uh, enrolled in the university and um, started doing, both Lindell and I, um, doing uh, Russian language. Yeah. And I uh, did that for three years. And then I came back in the following three years and taught some English. So ah, cool. the university I was studying at, actually I was able to get a job there part-time as a sort of an English, part of the English teaching faculty. Mm. Um, my role was to simply work on fluency and that sort of stuff. So yeah. they knew grammar way better than I did. Yeah. Um, I grew up learning English just by speaking it. Um, but of course I was way more fluent than than the, the, the grammar expert. Yeah. So that's, that was my role then. So I was a teacher then for another three years. Cool. And um, alongside of that, we were free to go to church, mm. uh, but maybe not so free to be very heavily involved in church. So, uh, so I could go to church and 
And every so often you'd hear people asking lots of questions about who we were and what we were doing. Um, but really, um, you know, I was fulfilling my visa requirements. Mm. And um, alongside of that, we worked with the local Christians and Christian leadership to encourage them as best we could. Mm. Yeah. What's your enduring memory of being in Russia? Um, probably the, it was, like I said, the, the people were lovely. We've got some dear, dear friends there. And um, the times, the, the, the meals, the fellowship spent with them was um, just really, really lovely. Um, mm. Sure, there was other elements of like cold. It's <laughs> so, <laughs> so cold. It, it is frozen for six months of the year. Yeah. So oh, basically, as we get, if you think about it, think that we're hot for like six months of the year. You know, like summer's a bit cold this year, but usually yeah. we're, by this stage, we're pretty hot. Mm. And summer keeps going right through into the next year. And yeah. by Easter time, it starts to cool off. Well, just turn that on its head and basically <laughs> the cold is the opposite. So yeah. it's, it gets cold in October and doesn't warm up until April, May. Oh, my gosh. What's like, was it? What's like the minus temperature in winter like? Uh, I mean, it can get pretty, pretty cold, but um, um, the coldest I probably ever found myself having stuck on the street and having to walk a, a fairly long distance home somewhere yeah. is about minus 30. <laughs> 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 and it, it hurts. It hurts at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Bre- breathing hurts. Um, wow. You, you, um, you're... you're Everything freezes, like, like all, the, all, the, all, the, all, the, all the nasal, <laughs> <laughs> all the nasal hairs freeze, and you can, it's a bit crunchy, so like a crunch, crunch, crunch. Oh, nasal. man. So, um, like your hair? Does your hair get any frozen? If it's moist, it would, it would like, right. if, you, if you, you don't, people don't do this, but I mean, like, if you went out and you just wash your hair, you don't walk out with wet hair, because um, it will, I mean, if it was really cold, because usually you'd have a, a beanie and a hat on. So mm-hmm. the thing is, we look at that and we shiver when it's like, you know, 10, 15, 11 degrees or something like that. Yeah. It's because we're just not prepared for the cold. Yeah. yeah. Um, just like they're not prepared for the heat. <laughs> it gets to about 25 and they're going, oh, do you know, this is like a heat wave. It's like we're all going to melt. And it's like, this is nothing. Like, it's nothing. So, so it's, it's the same. They dress very, very well. So you, you have good gloves, good jackets, yeah, good shoes, and, 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 and everything can be really, really warm. And every, heat inside is really well heated and insulated. Mm. And um, it's amazing how much stuff, everything works still, mm. even when it's frozen. You think the car's out there under a pile of snow, surely <laughs> it's not going to start. Yeah. And they start because if you've got antifreeze in your um, windscreen wipers and, and the radiator... The oil's fine, petrol won't freeze, and so you just away it goes. The cars yeah. start, and you drive around on these ice rinks, yeah. <laughs> with, with little um, you know snow <laughs> tires, studded tires, studded tires, and that's what keeps you on the on the road. Yeah, um, and otherwise everything's still going. You pull up, and you can go to the shop, and and it's all all done. How did you find? living obviously being on mission but not really being a missionary like in terms of card carrying like open out how did Mm. you find that affect your relationship with god and the people around you um there was probably um most of the time we could could be open with people um uh, so uh we and it it, it's almost like every moment of every day 
you're sort of thinking, I'm here because I'm here to tell people the gospel. Like yeah. I'm here, to, I'm here to, to, to be an ambassador for, for Christ. Yeah. So you sort of, in some ways it does strengthen your convictions. Like you just think, well, this is what I'm doing. I mean, yeah. when time's tough, when, when it is, you know, not every, not every day you're sharing the gospel. Some days you're just surviving just to get from point A to point B. Yeah. The kids are bouncing off the wall because <laughs> getting, everyone's getting cabin fever and you're just yeah. thinking, um, what have we done? Yeah. So, yeah, it's... It's not perfect, you're not sort of living this, this lovely, you know, isn't this wonderful? Um, yeah. Um, but it does really focus your yeah. thinking because it was so foreign, such a, such a different place and a hard place to live. Yeah. Um, you think, well, why, why am I doing this? And so every day I'd often ask myself as I'm sort of like trying to not slip over on the way to... <laughs> the university yeah. and you're trudging through the snow and you're just thinking, well, because I'm here to share the gospel with people and uh, encourage the church and to equip leaders so they can keep, keep um, sharing the gospel. That's, yeah, that's what absolutely. it's about. So, that's, it's, it, so it, does, it, does, it does really focus, focus yeah. your convictions and your thoughts. And I suppose it makes you, you make sure you're really on top of your faith and be really, make sure you're really sharp what you're talking about um yeah i guess so i that would have been good like, <laughs> I, 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 I you're not you're not you don't become a super christian though like yeah. i mean yeah. you still you still struggle um uh you might struggle even with doubts um that sort of thing mm. um um uh god's kind though alongside of that sometimes you might think I haven't been so sharp. I haven't been able to express my faith properly to this person in another language. Yeah, that's that's another thing. Just yeah. thinking about how you reflected on high school and saying like, "Oh, I, I maybe didn't express my faith as as well as I could have," and now all of a sudden you're in a you've gone through this journey of learning how and walking with God and maybe getting better at that. But now you're talking to someone in a different language, trying to do, mm. trying to communicate as clearly. As clear as you can, yeah. but doing it pretty poorly. Because, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's times that just, just really um, um, like soul destroying in some ways. Like you're sort of yeah. walking back from the street and I'd almost, I'd often going into a cold sweat at the prospect of buying a loaf of bread and some milk because yeah. the shops were like, some of the their old style shops that by the time we'd left, they'd been big new shopping centres were being built. And so you would have supermarkets like Woolworths and Coles. Yeah. You just walk in anonymously, don't say anything, just pick up the product you want, um, scan it, look at the number, hand over the right amount of money. Yeah. Not, don't say a word. But um, where we were, in close to where we were, it was a corner, sh- corner shop and every product was behind a counter oh, uh, right. uh, and in front of a very grumpy babushka <laughs> and people are bustling to buy stuff and um you've got to go in there and you've got to you've got to face up to that you've got yeah. to be quick and yeah you got to, you've got to be who's next because there's no clear or clear line yeah it's whoever's next and um you're usually greeted with what like that's like not, not how can I help you today? Yeah. Um, sir. What would you like? It's, yeah, <laughs> no, it's just that. what? Yeah. What? <laughs> and so I'm here, I'm there with my rehearsed, I'd like a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> and um and then it's like so out it comes, my I'd like a loaf of bread. And then you know, she rolls her eyes and just says, Well of course you want a loaf of bread, but what kind? 
And so right behind her is a wall of various types of bread, yeah. dark red, light breads, um, seed breads, <laughs> the different shapes and sizes. Oh, and I'm thinking, I haven't done all the adjectives yet. <laughs> so it was that, that one. What, what do you mean? That one? And by this stage, I can feel the eyes burning Behind into me. You, because yeah, now yeah. I can say, because we looked Anglo, yeah. um, for the most part, if we didn't say anything, no one even asked a question. You mm. could be Russian yeah. at all. But now people know that's a foreigner. Ooh. And um, and I'm not and I'm just thinking there's not that many foreigners around, perhaps, or maybe not obviously a foreigner, and so maybe people have got no, didn't care at all. But I'm now shrinking, like I'm going, <laughs> oh no, I want to die, or there's a hole, I want to jump jump into a hole, <laughs> and um, so you, that painful process you do yeah. that you eventually get the bread. It may not even be the one you want, but it doesn't matter. No, I'm, <laughs> out <of> it. <laughs> I'm out of here. Well, actually, no. Now I've got to get the milk. Now I've got to get some cheese. Now I've got ah. to do something, and so that. That, and then I think I was coming home from the shop feeling a bit down and this little kid runs up to me and just starts going, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just thinking, great. Now I don't know what this kid's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is crazy. I've got two degrees. Yeah. I'm quite capable person, but now I'm totally incapable. Yeah. And so I guess it was, it was, it was just a, a really powerful lesson to learn to sort of think I'm not all capable. Yeah, um, and so in some ways it, it taught us to really rely on God, um, to trust Him, to um, realize our identities found in Him, not in my abilities. Yeah. Um, again, I can say this all now because in hindsight, I'm going to reflect <laughs> upon it. Yeah. At that moment, I was just really sad and depressed about it. Yeah. Um, it was a hard. Those those hard moments like that. Um, while we we're there, but um, I wouldn't. If I had a chance to go back and change anything, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it was was still very, very helpful and powerful. Can you tell us about the time you got pulled over by the KGB? Uh, Well, (laughs) Stu keeps saying that. It wasn't me. It was just the police. We We had been questioned by the KGB once. The first time we went there, actually, I wasn't a student. We went over to visit first to mm. see some people mm. and we went there and the visa that we used I think was a dodgy visa um, it was a, a sort of a sort of a visa process that had been put together by some other missionaries over there a non-government organization mm. and so we had this visa and um, and so I think it obviously must have flashed a light somewhere back at headquarters so when we <laughs> arrived when we arrived at the airport a guy came alongside us and said can you come over to the side room and then basically asked us a whole bunch of questions. Where are we going? Who are we going to see? Was this indeed the address that we we're going to go to? Um, we were totally oblivious, I think, really at that point in time, just thinking, I don't know, what, what, why are we getting asked all these questions? We were on the plane with another Australian family mm. who had come in on the student visa and nothing said to them. They just went straight through. But I think we also looked pretty um, uh, harmless because yeah. it was just a young couple and Ebony, our daughter, was um, six months old. So basically we were there with a tiny baby. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we're not, not gonna be doing anything too nefarious, I would guess, because <laughs> we, with, a, with a small baby. And so that was, that was the time we were formally chatted to by um, KGB. Um, I had lots of rights running with police, um, um, particularly traffic police, uh, driving cars, because they would just pull over cars randomly. And um, 
and also it wasn't so clear what a lot of the rules, road rules were because <laughs> one, the other drivers weren't, weren't demonstrating very well at all. Um, and also a lot of the signage was missing um, and not there. And so, right. so you'd be driving along and think, oh, I can, turn, I can turn left here because everyone else is turning left here. So away you go around the corner and, and then someone, there's police sitting in the corner pulling everyone over. Um, because it was you were able to do that a week ago, but not this week. So, <laughs> so uh, I had well, they were just looking for bribes, right? There were, most of the time, I'd get you'd get pulled over. Once they realise you're a foreigner, they think you, they've caught the big fish. So <laughs> let's reel him in. So um, <laughs> uh, once I remember, I just thought they were going, "Oh yeah, you can pay cash now and go." And I'm going, "All right, I'll pay cash now and go." So, I, um, but then afterwards, had this conscience where I just went, oh, I, th- "I just think I've just paid them a bribe." So yeah. even though okay, technically I may not have been able to do that. They've just taken a bribe. But the next, from that point on, I said, right, I, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'll get them to write the fine. But um, writing the fine was complicated because I was using my Australian licence with a translation, which we were assured by all the people we spoke to that that was okay. But of course, it doesn't fit with their paperwork, mm-hmm. like um, to fill in details. Yeah. That was too complicated. And so, of course, just, let's just work to see if this guy just dump us a bit of cash and um so usually it was a long a long process of um uh, are you going to pay the fine no you write the fine i'll pay the fine when you write the fine i'll go to the office and pay it and um and then it'd become a, a mexican standoff usually yeah um and i didn't ever felt in danger because we were a foreigner there wasn't many foreigners in town yeah um, and they were particularly worried about um, who you might have known. Ah. And so I guess the thing was, let's push and pull for a little while, see if he's going to give in and we can get some easy money. But if they fight too much, then they might be thinking, well, who do you know? And um, actually, we, through various connections and social connections, we did know some fairly high-powered people. Some, so... Ooh. So um, not that I ever wheeled that out. I think that, it was, that would be one thing that maybe the locals might wheel out. You don't know who I know and, and that sort of stuff. But, yeah. um, but I think they would have thought, well, who, who, who knows? Like, what? Yeah. And um, an Australian basketball player used to play for the local team and um, he got pulled up and he didn't know any Russian. And um, they thought, now they've got a real live one. <laughs> they were after like $500 from him so when he saw them they wrote 500 in the snow on his bonnet of the car and he's thinking 500 he thought 500 rubles yeah which amounts to like 20 dollars he's going oh 500 rubles okay here you go they go no 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 500 dollars and he just went okay you can keep the car i'm walking home (laughs) and he couldn't speak this in russian but then he said one word they did understand he said the car belongs to this name this guy um, who owned the basketball team it was basically one of the, the um, biggest bankers in the, in the city. So, of course, they went, um, sorry, sir, back in your car and away you go. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so you're going to muck around with, with um, my, my players um, that he's spent all this money to get them to the country and you harass them. Then yeah. You can imagine the sort of um, uh, comeuppance that they would have got. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Did you spend six years in Russia? Yeah, it, probably, it was probably ended up being more like seven years there in total, mm. in and out of the country for a 10-year period from basically 2001 to 2010. 
So we had various periods back here in Australia and then going back and forth. Okay. Um, yeah, so over that period of time, we did have some very great connections and clear um, and, and wonderful opportunities to, to minister to people. And what brought you back permanently um, to Australia? Yeah, yeah pro- pro- probably a bunch of things. Like, you know, it was, it was not, it's not like it wasn't easy living there. So um, um, one of the struggles was particularly with the kids and their schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually getting trickier and trickier. So um, I can still remember thinking for Ebony, it was like a weight had lifted off her shoulders when um, she was able to come back and just be part of schools here. Um, so that helped a lot. Um, plus, it was just it was just a, it was it was tricky being there. Um, uh, we probably needed a lot more pastoral care and support, I guess, while we were there. Not to sort of badmouth our organisation, I think they did a great job, but we were also very, very far away. And so, um, yeah, there's probably limitations even in, in my ability to, to, keep, to keep being there. Um, the pressure's on Lyndall and her health as well. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of things that we just thought they, they'd become a bit untenable. So there's probably a few things that we could have probably carried. Um, but once we lined up a, a, cu- a couple of things, um, they just became too much. And um, I mean, I personally really, really wanted to go back because I felt that I was just about to get over the hump when it came to language and certainly opportunities. I had lots of opportunities. I was getting pretty much open door to go to almost any university to talk to students, mm-hmm. um, just to get to know them. Just being an Australian, speaking English, that's always a was all, all, were total novelties. They loved us. <laughs> they loved us because Americans, you'd get, you'd, they'd get, they'd get flack sometimes um, from some people. But Australians, they didn't have a clue who we were. They just thought we were just novelties, <laughs> Exot- exotic. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I was really wanted to go back and be part of that, but it was it was tricky. Yeah, right. And then so you came back in two thousand ten. Mm. So what happens in that period of time up until the present? You get to go back into ministry? Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, um, we had an opportunity to do ministry uh, when we first came back in Arncliffe, mm-hmm. um, just up the road. Yeah. So we lived in that area and um, our kids went to local schools and, um, and were involved in a ministry there at Arncliffe for a couple of years, there for about three years, four years. Um, then I, I went back to the Church Missionary Society, worked there for a while another three or four years, um, involved in training and recruiting, that sort of thing, um, which was fun. Um, then after that, I worked for a couple of years with my parents because their business, they were getting quite elderly and um, um, there was a possibility that would we be able to maybe run that business on the side of doing some ministry as well and help mm. that fund the ministry. But um, that became clear that that was not going to work like that. So... Um, really it was time for them to sell, sell up and move on uh, way past retirement age. And, um, and so that's what happened. And then, again, kindness of God and pr- provision, I was able to come here to Solis yeah. um, for the last two years and do ministry here. Mm. So, so that's, that's sort of what happened, plotted pathway, at least for me, when I, um, from 2010. I thought it'd be um, it's just an idea I've had in the last couple of episodes, <laughs> just to wrap it up, I think would be if you look over the the, the history 
of your time, that's not the right saying, mm-hmm. the your personal history, what would be uh, would be a time that you wish you could go back and give yourself some advice on what that advice would be? Mm, good question. Um, wish I had a bit more time to reflect <laughs> upon. <laughs> um, First thing that comes to your mind. It doesn't have to be definitive. I think I, I, I would have, I'd loved, I would have loved to have... Um, in the early days of being in Russia, yeah, and even in preparation for that, to actually go back and say, you know what, um, remember that your identity is actually in just who you, like who you are before Jesus. That mm-hmm. um, I think I could, I, I did get caught up a little bit in the identity of being a missionary, mm-hmm. um, not the celebrity that surrounds it, but just that okay, that's this is this is my role. This is a really really important role. Yep. Um, Lovely, lovely support and key support from lots and lots of people. We had lots of friends supporting us. And so alongside of that, I think, oh, then this is really important. I don't want to let these guys down. Um, to not allow my worldly attitudes flow in at that point and think, okay, it must be really important. Um, this is what I'll do. Rather than to think, what's God doing and what's God doing in your life? And make sure that you're sort of not letting go of that or allowing these other things to be done, pressure you or, or, or sort of push you off kilter. Um, make sure you, you, know, you, you love your wife and your kids and, and that sort of thing, which I, we were doing. It wasn't like I'd become this crazy monster or anything, but, but that would be, that would, that would be uh, I think, a, a really important just time. Just kind of saying, like, where your focus was, just a little bit off-centre. Um, well, just, just more that that's... Yeah, it just, it's that sort of thing that actually helps you to, I think, centre yourself on, on, on your identity with Christ. And so when things are hard, like when you're in a hard place, to know that it's not, okay, well, what, what could... I've got to do this better, and mm-hmm. and then when you're just hitting your head against a brick wall, and you're not going to get very far before you're going to just hurt yourself. So basically, um, cope with the fact that it's okay. You know, you may not become super fluent. You know, you might be able to preach in another language, um, but that's okay. You know, you just you you you're here to be um, Christ's ambassador and. And we saw it towards the end. That what the biggest influence that we had on other Christians there was just being there as Christians. Mm. Not so much what I taught them or what I said. They could just see it in our life, and the fact that we had had been willing to travel there to leave a more comfortable life to, to the, for the sake of the gospel. That's what was powerful for them. Yeah. And so, to have that sort of word coming in might have actually set me on a better. A better trajectory for that ministry at that time. Yep. Yeah. So that's I think cool. I think that's that would have been a a good thing to hear. I think I feel like from what I've heard from you, identity is kind of a like it's an uh, important thing. Like you've taken on a lot of different supposed identities mm. that you know you you're at school and you weren't really a Christian, but you were, and then you went to university and that was a different yep. a different thing, and then you're a missionary. Uh, <laughs> I know quasi Russian yep. and all that kind of stuff. But then mm. I think it's yeah, it's really important that it seems like you've had those reminders of making sure that the 
I mean, um, we've talked about on the Shock Absorber podcast about Miroslav Volf, who talks about we all have multiple identities, mm. but the most important one and the one that influences all of those is we're we're a Christian first. We're Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is our identity first. So that's something I've learned from you today is to keep knowing that. And, yeah, and yeah. that's and that's what you I think you're saying too. Is yeah, it's a it's 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 really important and it helps you to raise it because it was quite a bit of an existential crisis to have to come back mm. um, earlier than what we wanted to. And so it's like, well, then what was that all about? Like, and, and actually understand, well, it's okay, God's still, God's still ruling. Um, um, he's, he's still in control. And, and uh, yeah, so it was actually, it was a, that sort of lesson you know, is important to learn. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much mm. for your time, Paul. Yeah. I think it might be time to wrap up chips. Probably. What do you yeah, think? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> wrap up those chips. Wrap up the chips. They're, that cold, we've they're cold by now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for your contribution to the Chip yeah. Lunch podcast. It was it's a pleasure pleasure to be here. No, it's fa- thanks, it's thanks for inviting me. I love hearing everyone's stories. So it's yeah. really, really cool. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Brayden, for joining us. <laughs> and we always um, finish up on the Chip Lunch podcast with a one-way. Should we do it together? One way.